This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? About to be the sixth episode of the Average Savage podcast. Got another special guest, Royce White. Royce, what's up? How you doing, man? Good, good, good. How about you? Man, I'm great, man. I can't complain. I'm uh, I'm young and I'm healthy and I'm talented and I'm, I'm, I can't I can't ask for more. So great. So let's just jump right into it. And uh, can you tell the the listeners a little about yourself? Yeah, where 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 to start? Right? Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm uh my uh my story probably one of the most well known for having advocated for mental health in the NBA, mm-hmm. um, played at Iowa State University, and went on to be drafted, and, and this is where this, this advocacy uh, of mental health policy really came to fruition. From the Twin Cities, Minnesota, uh, grew up uh, both both parts of, of the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, lifelong athlete, uh, huge uh, athletic family heritage, and very diverse family cultural background, and uh, yeah, here we are, here we are. Gotcha. So besides playing basketball, when you were younger, did you play any other sports? Yeah, yeah, I played uh, baseball, I played soccer, I played football. So yeah, yeah, definitely a multi-sport athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up until about the ninth grade, I'd say, uh, where where the basketball piece became more more specialized and all year round. So yeah, I mean, growing up in Minnesota, were you uh, into hockey or no? Uh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I never played hockey, um, but I had a lot of friends that played hockey and, yeah. you know, I, I knew of hockey. I knew, I knew a lot about hockey. I went to a lot of hockey games, friends yeah. that played and things like that, but I never, uh, never played myself. So. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so coming out of high school, you were, you were a top recruit, you're Jordan All-Americans, all the accolades, all that. And then, uh, you had a lot of choices to go to. You choose, you chose to stay at Minnesota and then you transferred, uh, Iowa State. You played Iowa State for one year, and then you decided to go to the NBA, right? Right, right. And uh, yeah, actually, I remember, I remember being in college, seeing you at Iowa State, uh, just ball out on UConn out here because I'm in Connecticut. Uh, and that's that's how I actually first, uh, I guess, discovered you. And then I remember one time I was just like thinking, I was like, Yo, where's that guy Royce White at? And then I looked up your story and stuff. That's when I got in contact with you. And then uh, yeah, you're, yeah. you're kind enough to let me publish that. Uh, open letter to the NBA, and actually, that was like uh, the biggest, most viewed article I had on my site so far. Oh wow, man! Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. If, I, I didn't know if a lot of people even had, had seen that article. I mean, you know, it, it, it begs the question of, well, first off, yeah, that was that that was a really uh, coincidental way to meet. You know, the fact that I, that that UConn game, uh, it was that was a fun experience. Obviously, it was my first NCAA tournament, and I had huge success, and, and we had some success. We played the defending champ that year even though they were you know not not uh, still not still in with, with the services of, of Kim Walker who was yeah. the difference maker and uh, you know coach Calhoun the legend was was dealing with some health issues as well so you know we, we played a, a lesser UConn team than we could have faced but you know nonetheless we were able to beat them that was that was a huge moment for Iowa State uh, basketball history and uh, I'm definitely got, glad that we that we got to cross paths through that 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 time period um and yeah man I, the, the letter you know it, it just it just it wasn't it wasn't disseminated the same way you see a lot of these other open letters mm-hmm. for people disseminated you know these player tribunes or, or other places you know it just it just wasn't uh it just wasn't circulated the same way mm-hmm. and uh you know i just you know you know i think that that's very intentional that was a very intentional move and not not only because the NBA has some um, has a prolific uh, uh, media influence, which they most certainly do. Uh, more so because the implications of me clarifying my story immediately put some people in the media who have staked a position in this conversation or in, in my in my story arc mm-hmm. on one side or the other to firmly, you know, become they they start to look uh, wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's part of the reason why uh, I think that it didn't it didn't carry that that same uh, exposure that you see a lot of these other players open letters yeah. get it and even my, my most recent open letter which was the second one much longer um, much more has, has come to fruition since then I'm sure we'll talk about mm-hmm. but um, much more has been has been concretized since then you know mental health is now accepted mm-hmm. at least publicly and and discussed in, in, in a in a positive light or in, a, in an inclusive light or in a in a uh, commitment to education, right? 
And uh, my latest letter still hasn't hasn't got the media circulation that these other people's letters get. And part of that is because I criticized the media in the letter and I called mm-hmm. them mercenary, which I think is totally accurate. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I got some follow-up questions for that later. But uh, so back to you getting drafted. You got drafted in the first round, 16th overall by the Rockets, right? Right, Two, right. 2012. So what was that? What was, what was that experience like? It was it was just a crazy time period, man. I, I, I want to say it was just all excitement and fun and all those things. But uh, and it was some of those things. But uh, there was just a huge conversation brewing about my anxiety. Yeah how it would affect my draft stock, people's view of my fear of flying, which was overblown. Um, people asking me questions about mental health that I'm not credentialed to answer from within the NBA, from the media, that I tried my best to answer anyway because I saw it as an opportunity to, to shed some light on at least the, you know, the, the preliminary knowledge that I had at the time of the mental health landscape, which was you know three, four degrees better than the general awareness of the, the vast public, thus they wouldn't be asking me the rudimentary questions that they weren't. Um, so, you know, all of those things were swirling around at the time, and, uh, you know, it's just a very peculiar time, man. Much of my time in my adult basketball career over the last decade has just been really peculiar. You know, it's just, I, I've seen people do things and say things that would just make you scratch your head, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you think your draft stock uh, <laughs> fell because of that? Well, that's what they said. I, I, I know it. I mean, they actually said that. So, and, and multiple people have said that since then. That you know, top five talent went yeah. fell in the draft because it's because of his anxiety and whatnot. So, um, I think I think the the verdict is is in on that on that front. Yeah. So, so so what was your experience like um, in the Rockets organization? Um, there's some good people in the organization, and there were some and there were some uh, some other types of people in the organization. You know. Um, yeah. Uh, there's some people that I had good experiences with, and there's some people that I had some bad experiences with. Um, you know, there's some coaches there that I liked. I liked Dicker Staff. I liked Kevin McHale. I, I liked uh, the guy down there by the name of Derek Austin. I liked Derek Austin. Uh, Derson Rosas was assistant GM at one point. I liked him. He wasn't. A, he wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't. He wasn't as stand up and as honest, forthright as I would have liked him to be when certain conversations went to certain places. Um, I didn't mind Sam Hinkie. I thought he was a reasonable voice at certain points in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably carried a little bit of a, a different perspective on things than I do. I did, and, and, and in the end, would would probably advise one way versus the other, and, and you know, in his contribution to the, the whole situation, and then in the future to my my meeting in Philadelphia as well, where he was then the, the the general manager, not an assistant general manager, and you know, and so but there were there were people that. You know that that I had good experience with, and then you know there were people that I didn't. And and, and Daryl, you know, uh, Maury was definitely a person that um, you know just just wasn't uh, not a well grounded guy. You know, mm-hmm. especially in the situation that we were in. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 had, it had all the ingredients to to just expose how not grounded someone is, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, and and that's kind of what ended up happening between me and him specifically. So. So, were you disappointed, uh, like, not playing for the Rockets since they drafted you? What was that? Were you disappointed that you didn't get to play, like, a regular season game with the Rockets? Yeah, man, I was real disappointed, man. I, I, I like the city of Houston. I yeah. still like the city of Houston, man. I, I got much love for, for Houston, and um, the people there expressed nothing but support and love for me. I mean, there were the occasional internet trolls that were emerging yeah. at the time, and, uh, you know, what what do you want to call them? They, they're death threats and all the other kind of crazy, you know, uh, disanchored, manic shit that people do on the internet was happening at that time too. But you know, overall, the support from the Houston community was was major. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I and, and, and I, I pretty much anchor my my play in my uh, you know a lot of times I, I in, in my career I've anchored my play based on the community, and I find that that community value or meaning, and uh, I let that propel my play. So I was really disappointed I didn't get a chance to play there. Besides the fact that we would have been really good, you know, yeah. um, Houston goes out. They try to get Dwight Howard. They try to do all these different moves that end up not being, you know, the thing that would push them to the to where they wanted to be. <laughs> and now they're in a they're in a better place. You know, we could have we could have we could have uh, cracked some of those feelings a lot earlier had I been had I been playing there. That's for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then they traded. Or maybe, they, or maybe, or maybe they would have traded me anyway because yeah. people do that. So I mean, it's it's it's, it's hard to say, but um, you know, it, it's just it's just hard. It's really hard to say because you know you, you you had some guys there that that played really well in the NBA before. You know, you had Omer mm-hmm. Oshik there, Denadis Amantayunis, and Terrence Jones. These guys are no no pushovers. Now I don't think that they don't have the same game changing ability that I do, but they they really are really good players and, and traded them too so yeah yeah for sure I don't so, know. so you get traded they, the Rockets trade you to the 76ers <laughs> and then uh, the 76ers cut you but uh, I was reading I was doing some background stuff and uh, all these NBA analysts were surprised that you got cut so what happened there That was their saying yet. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely wasn't their saying yet, you know. But that, but, the, but that's my point though, is that yeah. there's this whole thing going on in the sports world in general. But, but you know, specifically, I can speak to the NBA where there's just this this illusion or, or illusion of um, of control and, and competence and knowing what you're doing. And you know, I don't have people. To, I don't have anything against people that play fantasy sports or that participate in fantasy sports. But you know. For people at home to think, or fans to think that the NBA and their GM is anything more than you know a, a high-level business fantasy league, they're kidding themselves because these dudes don't know their ass from their elbow. I mean, that's the reality. Yeah. You see it every you see it every year in the draft. There's always a player where they're like, "Oh, he's too big. He's too short. He's not quick enough. He doesn't shoot well enough. He does that." You don't fucking know. <laughs> they, they've never played. Most most of them never played. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's just let's just keep it real. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like. Of course, you draft Damon Green in the in the later part of the second round of the year that I get drafted because you don't understand what it is to be a dog and you don't understand the intangibles, the things that don't show up on the stat sheet. Yeah. So analysts, you know, analytic guys like Daryl Morey and and, uh, and Sam Hinky, you know, they're always going to have a, a blind spot. So yeah. <laughs> so so after the 76ers, Sixers, uh, the Kings signed you, right? And then uh, you find you went you went to the D League, and then they called you up. And you uh, right. made three appearances. How how that all happen? Man, that was a shit show. I mean, it just it was uh, it was one guy in the, in the organization that saw saw a vision to um, to play me at the one, move Isaiah Thomas to the two, more of his natural scoring position. Uh, play Macklemore at the three. He was there at the time. Rudy Gay at the four. Demarcus Cousins at the five, which would have been a formidable lineup. Then it'd be a formidable lineup now. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, you know, the, the other people, there was dissonance in the organization uh, about, about you know, what, what the direction needed to be. And, and that came to fruition uh, outside of me, after me, and the fact that none of the people who were there are there anymore in those positions. The, the coach isn't there, the GM isn't there, um, and some other people in the organization that, that aren't there as well. So the, some of the players. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was about to say. You know, uh, Isaiah Thomas isn't even isn't there, and uh, you know they're as shitty as ever. And I don't know how they thought they could they could get better without having those perennial type of players. I just I don't know. I don't you know that's what I mean. It's like who can look at that and not go, man? People do not know what they're doing as much as they think they do. You know, so yeah. But I mean, wasn't it uh, awesome accomplishment to like get on the NBA, get on the, get in the NBA game? No, not I mean not really me. I mean that. No. I mean, some people could, could could say that that's, uh, but it's just it'd be such a low a low marker or a low value for for where I where I should be or yeah. or really just my my own appraisal system of, of my own you know value or worth or, or accomplishing things or goals is like no nah, I'm 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 much I'm, I'm much I'm I'm a hundred or a thousand times more proud that the NBA has the first mental health director in all of pro sports than than getting in for fifty seconds. Yeah. On a ten day, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. then put then put me in for fifty seconds is more a slap in the face than it is an accomplishment. Yeah. Well, do you think they did that as a publicity stunt? Huh? You think they did that as a publicity stunt? The Kings? Man, man I don't know. I don't. Who would they be? Who would they be? <laughs> I, I don't mean, know. If, if you, if, I mean, it's I the mean, Kings, maybe, so I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I hope not. It's like. If if uh if, if that's the if that's the stunt you guys are coming up with in your marketing meetings, you're you're 
we got bigger issues than your basketball uh, uh, acumen. We got to talk about your 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 business acumen in general, and then thus your life acumen because that is that is a horrible, a horribly ineffective stunt. You have to first identify a demographic, condition a demographic, uh, uh, make a demographic aware of your of, of you, and in order to pull a stunt, you have to establish some type of of uh, you have to establish something with a. With the core audience, if you're going to actually try and pull a stunt that's effective. <laughs> yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So, so next season, 2015 now, and you uh, sign with the are you yeah you sign with the Clippers for the summer league. Yep. And then what what happened there? Um, yeah, I mean we uh we, we practiced some before we went to summer league. Um, they the the team the people in the, in the office told me that you know they. They've seen everything they needed to see, so I didn't. I didn't need to play that much in the summer league. Yeah. So I ended up not playing that much, and I ended up not doing that much because I didn't play that much. I played like twenty minutes or something like that out of the entire one hundred twenty minutes that we played. We played like five games, maybe it was like one hundred fifty minutes. Um. So, um. Yeah, I played like five minutes. I mean, twenty minutes total. So I mean, it's just it's just one another one of those situations that I that I've come across where where it just really wasn't a fair shake, you know? That's just the reality. So so they just, you didn't think they have any intentions to sign you to the team? Uh, I'm not sure they wanted to. No, I don't, I don't think that it was that. I think that they wanted to, they wanted to um, engage the relationship in a much more slow and methodic manner than I wanted to, yeah. you know? I, I, want, I want a team to sign me and throw the ball out and let's see if, let's see if all the bullshit stands, stands up you know, stands up. Yeah. Let's see all, if, all the, if all the bullshit about about my game or about this anxiety or the spirit flying, let's see if that, that stuff holds up yeah. um, or not. And uh, they, they kind of wanted to do a thing where they wait and see how I did and then bring me back later, see how I did, bring me back later. It's like, yeah, I'm not into it. I'm yeah. not into it. Because really what it does, what really it, uh, overall what it, what it lends itself to is, again, this, this baseline premise that that me talking about mental health is actually more of a distraction or a risk than it is a necessity, and uh, I just I just don't agree with the premise on a foundational level. It's yeah. not a risk for somebody to talk about the most important issue in society today. It's not a risk. It's no more of a risk than it needs to be, or I shouldn't say it's not a risk. It's no more of a risk than it needs to be, and it's, it's totally uh, quantifiably and categorically a necessity to be having that conversation and to do something meaningful, meaningful in in that space. So, yeah, yeah for sure. So it's 2015, and then you ended up not playing basketball season, right? Right, right. And now it goes back almost a year later in December 2016. You signed with the National Basketball League of Canada. So how'd that how'd that come yeah. come about? Uh, just in a connection with an agent. Agent had a, a, a few players that had played there. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> saying you were there. you were itching to come back play basketball, right? What was that? You were itching to come back to play basketball, right? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely needed to get some get some stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you when you build up a life uh, a life uh, a lifelong um, routine of competitive. Uh, Competitive exertion and competitive uh, expression—you got to get that. You got to get that shit out. And uh, I definitely wanted to play, but I—I had been wanting to play. You yeah. know, I just—I just wanted to find the right spot. And um, all the situations over in Europe at the time, because it was so close to, to my situation in Houston, you know, expressing all of their quote-unquote fears or doubts about me being a distraction as well. And I was just tired of like trying to prove a case about mental health being important. So I just ended up not moving on any of those issues. I mean, moving on any of those opportunities. And uh, when the Canada one came, uh, it worked out that it was something we could go forward with. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you uh, dominated in the league, winning the MVP in the championship and, and won right, the season. Twice. twice? Oh, you won, you won the MVP this year too? No, I got cheated out of the MVP <laughs> this year, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. So, so anyways, you killed it in Canada. Right. <laughs> so... Was there any was there any NBA teams reaching out like after all this now after they seen you dominate this league? Of course not. No. Why not? Of course not. Why? Why would they? Because you just I crushed mean, that's it. A better question. So why? Why would they? You can't. You can't work off the premise that the only the only driving force of these NBA teams is to win games or make money. 
not, it's not, it's just not true. It's not true. You can tell by Carl Jung said that you can infer people's motives by the, the results, right? Mm-hmm. So if we look at people's results, we look at their actions, we look at their results, we can start to infer some, some of their motives. And it isn't necessarily what they say it is. Actually, most of the time, it isn't what people say it is, their, their, their motives. Um, so, you know, people can come to the table and say, you know, we want to win games. We want to build a meaningful organization. We want the organization to mean something in the community. We want this. We want that. You're full of shit. You know, you're incompetent. You want to do as little work as possible and make money and be able to survive and navigate this industry and, um, and, and be around and hopefully move up. <clears throat> and, and, and along the way, you know, you, you'll do things half fast. And, and that, that's the thing that's a human thing. It's not just the MBA, yeah. but it's, it's, it's hyper exposed. In the NBA paradigm, because the things that you do carry the need for you to express that you actually know what you're doing versus a, a, a general curiosity or an exploration, right? Yep. So if I'm in the if I'm in the scientific landscape, it's like, well, I'm putting together a hypothesis. I don't necessarily know what the outcome is going to be. That's why we're doing the experiment. In the NBA, you have to stake your your reputation and your and your value on being right about something. So in the case where you're not right. You have to come up with an excuse why you're not right. And oftentimes it's dishonest. That's just the reality. Yeah. So my point being, to circle back your question, is of course they wouldn't call me because they would have to admit that they were being dishonest. <laughs> yeah. Not only and not only not only on a structural level in the public, but there are people that are that would have to personally in their heart admit that they were wrong. And the implications of them being wrong in my situation in my situation is heavy on their own personal rights. Yeah. So it's not it's not just it's not just Adam Silver going, hey, you know what? We were structurally wrong about mental health. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's Mark Cuban going, no, this guy actually is. <laughs> this guy actually said that mental health is being neglected, and not only is it being neglected with the Dallas Mavericks, it's probably being neglected in my own personal life. And if I admit that he was right and I was wrong and that we were wrong, then that might suggest that I need to change something in my personal life right now. And I still don't want to do that. There's no, there's no evidence that I want to do that any more today than I when I when I told him to fuck off the first time. So. Gotcha. So what about? So what do you think of like Kevin Love and Demar Derozan coming out, and then now like everybody's yeah, all I think it's, now everybody's I think it's all like uh, <laughs> now everyone was like feeling bad and what wanted to help and stuff like that. But when you said no one cared. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. What, I, I, we're in a time where movement and and the spotlight. And people um, needing to be a part of something, needing to be uh, significant in a way to have a voice, yeah. is dis- distorting and obscuring of many conversations. Mental health is being one of them, the, the granddaddy of them, but just one of them. Yeah. Um, and and um, I don't know if people are really feeling bad. I don't. I don't. I don't take that for face value. I think mental health has built up a momentum in society because of the bad results we've gotten where people knew that it was an appropriate response to say, wow, this is a really, this is a really courageous thing to do. Yeah. But I don't know if they really understand the implications of it. And part of it is that maybe they don't need to. Maybe there's a collective ethos that actually shapes and molds the way that we think and respond to social occurrences. So, for example, it's like LeBron James doesn't necessarily have to specifically understand why he needs to feel compassion towards mental health in the moment because collectively we've all moved towards a, a, a greater compassion for mental health as a, as, you know, as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's much different though because then you individually go out and, and have a bunch of things to say and it's not really reflective or contemplative and uh, it misses the boat, right? It's like, for example, it's like, <laughs> I respect Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan. I respect Kelly Oubre and Tyron Luke. <laughs> and everybody else who's spoken out now at this point, but the the real question is is why is it such a why is it seen as such a curse for them to speak out in the first place? Uh, could uh-huh. it be that we still have a could it could it be that we still have a stigma around mental health that hasn't moved much as a society? Or maybe even more specifically, could it be that we all want the basketball player or a few basketball players disclose these same issues and they were cast out for it? So the immediate threat. Of, of disclosing your struggles is apparent to everybody. So that's what makes it seem more courageous. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, we all, we all watch, we all watch the last guy walk down the alley and come back with his head cracked. Yeah. Uh, and so the next guy that walks down the alley, we're like, damn dog, you're, you're brave as hell. You just saw this dude get his head cracked, you know? So 
there's that unspokenness uh, in the basketball field specifically, but also just in greater sports due to that mental health hasn't been acknowledged or discussed in any way that matches its significance or, or, or prevalence, right? So. Yeah. Has has any athletes reach out to you to talk about mental health? Oh man, like I've, I've I've talked to a bunch of them. You know, I've talked to hundreds of them over the yeah. years. Um, you know, everybody has these issues. Everybody knows somebody has these issues. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's 25. You know, the number is one in four people deal with uh, mental health conditions or mental health mental illness symptoms uh, yearly. You know, the statistic that sticks out there is that two-thirds of the people who have mental health conditions go undiagnosed. There's probably another 25% of people that could actually have clinical diagnosis if they were able to reach clinical uh, care. Mm -hmm. Um, And with those numbers alone, you're talking 50% of people. Um, Last time I checked, humans were a coupling species. Not only do we live in communities, but we live intimately in duos and in family units of usually four. Um, so that would mean that it's an everybody issue. So yeah, a lot of athletes have reached out because it's an everybody issue. Gotcha. So and after the Kevin Love and Demar Derozan thing came out, is that when all like ESPN and HBO and uh, networks like that reached out to you to do like another interview? <laughs> right, right. So that's that's kind of funny too, right? Um, what do you mean? Just like because once again, once once one like these big stars say something, then they reach back out to you. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a that's a. That's a manifestation of it, you know. It did yeah. that, that. It did have that effect. Um, I mean, that's good. That's good just, for you, obviously. But I'm just saying, it's no, just, not really though. Not no? really though, because you got to realize that that the attitude from the institution hasn't changed. So, yeah. so even then, reaching back out and we have to talk about it again, I still have to say the things that they don't want to have to talk about, right? I guess. So, so actually, I'm in a bad spot where it's like, oh, now they're reaching back out to me. I got to say this honest thing again, and the people that that the people that I need to say it to beyond the general public, they don't want to hear it. It's it, it, even the general public, too. See, part of the issue with this mental health conversation that people aren't ready to wrestle with yet is that <laughs> the actual, it, it, uh, there's a saying that, like, you know, in order to learn something, you have to be willing to, to, to become a fool. You have to be willing to be ignorant. You have to admit when you don't know something. Um, the thing about the mental health conversation is that that becomes perpetual once you dive into it. You start to realize that the vulnerability of not knowing only amplifies as you learn more, right? Because the mind is just a dynamic domain. So people are afraid of that, as they should be. It's, a, it's an actual endeavor. But it's the general public, too. The general public doesn't want to hear me talk about mental health, really. You know, and that's why recently when I've been critical of the alcohol consumption at basketball games or things like that, that's why my letter didn't get any traction. It's like the fans want a story like, I'm Kevin Love, I had a panic attack, I'm still an all-star. Everything's peachy keen. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you, you'll take that story. You don't want to hear the, when you go to the basketball game and participate in drunkenness and, and, and that's condoned culturally yeah. that it has a systemic effect on one of the most pernicious issues in the mental health conundrum with addiction and substance use. That's what you don't want to hear. Because yeah. you're probably at the game drinking a fucking beer yourself. You're not, you know, I mean, the, the fans that, that we would be speaking to is like, yeah, I know you don't want to hear that. Yeah. And yeah. I understand it. But nonetheless, it's still true. So I'll just, stay, I'll just stay in that space. I'll keep my feet grounded in that space. Yeah. And, uh, and let, the, let the politics and the gossip mills and the social medias and the feel good stories and all that shit for yourself out. That, that, that stuff is, uh, is really, you know, it's, it's, those chips are going to fall where, they, where they're supposed to. So. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's jump into one more basketball question. We'll jump into more uh, mental health stuff. So you just, I just saw while I was making up these questions that you, know, you just signed with the Italian team in Series A, uh, <clears throat> uh, Torino. That's the team. And the coach is now Larry Brown, the legend. So how is that going to be playing for Larry Brown? How did that, how the hell did that happen? Larry Brown's the coach over any connections in, in, uh, in the basketball world and um, every time I come out on top of the, uh, of the connection pool you know mm-hmm. um, you know I, I have a relationship with with someone there in Italy who's very prominent on the basketball scene uh, his name is Massimo and you know Massimo and I have been talking over the last few years about me playing in Italy 
he, he you know he's been very supportive. Thinks that it's um think that it, that it's a, a very huge opportunity for me personally. Mm-hmm. You know he knows how I feel about about culture and history and science and math and philosophy. And there's not a bigger better place for it than Italy. Um and you know just basketball wise as well. And so you know when the opportunity arose, he called me. And I talked to Coach Brown for a while. We had a good conversation. You know, we talked about life more than anything and uh, mm-hmm. a little bit about basketball. And, you know, the rest is history. Uh, did you know <laughs> Coach Brown before this? No, I actually, no, I, I never knew Coach Brown before before this uh, this situation. So, but, uh, I mean, obviously, I grew yeah. up watching Coach Brown. Yeah. And I, I grew up in the 90s. And Allen Iverson here, obviously, he coached, he yeah. coached Allen. He coached a really, really good Detroit Pistons team that I also grew up in the era watching. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's just a, he's a legend. You know, he's his, 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 uh, his, his story for season. So I knew him. He didn't really he didn't really know me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're excited to play for him, right? Oh, man, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you get around a, a, a well of knowledge like that yeah. in the basketball space, you got to just relish in that or else you're not really a – you're not a lover. You, you don't love the game, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Are you ready for, uh, like, once you get off the plane, my boy was over there in Italy. He said they had all posters of him up already. So I'm sure they're going to have posters all over of you. That's crazy. That's <laughs> crazy, man. I got to get some uh, some new some new pictures over there for them to put the posters up. I'm looking on yeah. the internet, and all the pictures of me are from <laughs> five years ago in a Houston jersey. Yeah, yeah, I just jersey. seen that. Yeah, I might have to call Google or the AT or, or Getty Images and say uh, I need all those images down. I don't I don't want to associate with those brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go do, yeah, go do a photo shoot and then send and be like, here, use these. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, go do a nice turn, uh, turn uh, photo shoot out there in Italy, and uh, yeah. you know, new, in my new uniform, my new organization, the new the new brand that I'm that I'm working with, new partnership, and. Let's flood the internet with those. Yeah. <laughs> new chapters, new chapters. Mm-hmm. Did you get to pick your number yet? Uh, no, we didn't even talk about that, man. But I'm sure, I'm sure they'll uh, they'll hold one for me. They'll hold the they'll hold, they'll hold the jersey with thirty on it for me. Is that that's your why? Why is that your favorite number? Um, it's actually a biblical uh, proverb, uh, thirty verse thirty in, in, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it talks about the lion and and, and the lion's uh, the lion's leadership or lion stature and, and, and the animal kingdom and, and his courage and his his uh, willingness to to engage and, and not turn away from uh, challenges. So, oh, there you go. It's perfect for you. So yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> so how about have has uh, Brandon Marshall, the wide receiver, ever reached out to you? Because I know he has a foundation. Yeah, yeah. See, I spoke to Brandon years back, man. We, we've, been, we've been in contact. He's a good dude. I, yeah. I like the work he's doing. I like the work he's doing. I can't, I can't, I can't knock what he's doing. He's doing a good job. He's, he's been outspoken. He's discussed the issue with transparency and honesty. He's made himself vulnerable at a very, very high rate. Like, you know, one of the anxiety, depression, those things are more common. Even PTSD is becoming more common. Addiction mm-hmm. is more common. Uh, but that borderline personality disorder, that, that's one that people don't really know. Yeah. You know, and the bipolar disorder, you know, people know what bipolar is. They probably have a, uh, a, a obscured perspective or, or uh, thought about what bipolar actually is or, or what they think it is versus what it actually is. But, you know, there's a significant risk when you start to disclose, you know, you're, you're dealing with some of those more, even more fringe, not known disorders. And he's done that uh, with, a lot of, with a lot of grace and, and articulation and uh, beautiful, beautiful. So... I know you're working on a lot of projects. Could, could you tell me a little about that? I know you got a podcast going. You got like your foundations and oh, stuff man. like that. I've seen a lot. Of, I've seen a lot of stuff that's coming up on your on your pages. Yeah, man. The, the, the podcast, um, just another talk show. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool, man. I think that people are gonna enjoy it. I got a lot of good guests that are planning on coming on the show. Uh, a lot of people from the academic world, professors. Uh, you know, a lot of people. With, with extensive expertise in certain fields, um, you know, people that I've met over the years that I've developed relationships with. So that should be a, a, a beauty. Um, Anxious Minds, Mental Health Company, you know, trying to push the conversation forward, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a number of ways, working on Mental Health Institutes. Hopefully we do the first one here in the Twin Cities, uh, a, a 
an art, you know, uh, if I could explain it, it's more like a, a science museum, you know, dedicated specifically to, to, the, to a mental health framework or curation. So a lot of neuroscience, a lot of things about the brain, a lot of things about uh, social sociology and, and the progressions of people and, and systems and cultures and things of that nature. So Anxious Minds has some, some very ambitious goals. Um, probably do a podcast there in that space too, just specifically for mental health. Not hosted by me though. Um, the last Renaissance is is a whole different thing. It's just this media site that is going to ask all the hard questions. We're going to try and form all the hard questions. We're going to engage the hard questions. We're going to, you know, we're going to we're going to go down in the rabbit hole. We're going to go down in the depths and in, in, in the Tartarus and see if we can find a gem or a nugget that can help us, you know, navigate this this chaotic time. Um, and you know, we want to bring knowledge and philosophy and all of these these things, science, art, back into the framework in a way that's amalgamated so people can understand just how interconnected uh, our modern society is, at its roots, even. Um, and, and Da Vinci had probably the best quote I could, I could find to anchor this, this last Renaissance movement is that, you know, uh, you know uh, study the art of science and the science of art. You know, uh, learn how to see. And everything connects to everything else. I, I couldn't, I couldn't have put it better myself. So it's, uh, that project is, is is in full tilt, and that's where we published my first letter. Mm-hmm. It's a long one. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, an intense read. It's a, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a tough read, but it's uh, it's it's the right one, especially for my for my story and my situation. It's only part of it, part of a much bigger book that I'm probably going to release later in the year. And uh, we're going to be coming with more content from along the same vein of, uh, you know, different different topics that, that people are going to be writing and contributing thoughts on. So video content as well on The Last Renaissance. Got a bunch of shows lined up. Um, the Potluck is one that I'm really excited about, bringing three or four people to the table to have a conversation um, over some, you know, based around food. Maybe because I'm in Italy, uh, it'll, yeah. it'll be even better uh, show. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll film some of those over there. And, you know, it's just, it's just so much stuff in the works, man. So much stuff in the works. Uh, a friend of mine, a group of my friends is considering starting to think tanks. And, uh, you know, just big, big time things that were, were big ambitions. Can't be too ambitious and can't be too patient uh, at this point. So. For sure. You just got to get those Italian subtitles in there now. <laughs> right. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. So... Do you think you could uh, provide the audience with some tips on how to recognize signs or concerns of mental health in other people? Yeah, well, I think people should just start with a baseline of going to get you a therapist right now, proactively. Yeah. Well, that's not, I don't want to try and turn people into clinicians. There's clinicians that have trouble, you know, properly diagnosing mental illnesses and, and uh, their, their different um, manifestations, their different nuances. Uh, their, their comorbidities. There's, there's, there's trained experts been in the field 30 years that still, that still uh, make mistakes in that regard. But um, the, 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 uh, the proactive measure that you can take against getting really bad results, just go and get yourself a therapist now. Mm-hmm. It ain't going to hurt you. Don't matter if you have a mental illness or not. You go get a therapist, you talk with them once a week, once, or, you know, once every two weeks, uh, once a month even. Um, you know, you'll, you'll put yourself in a position to be able to identify those things with that person if they come along. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you are having some of those experiences, they'll probably come out uh, in some of those conversations. So uh, if, you, if, if you think something's wrong with you psychologically, uh, that's probably a good marker. You know, it's nothing that I would need to say to to help reaffirm that you actually should go seek the help. If you think if you think that something's wrong, I'd give the same prescription as this. You know, they tell you with general health and and going to the doctor uh, regarding any other medical concern. If you actually have a question and it's not going away and it's not you're not able to reconcile it, you should probably go get it checked out. And along that along that vein, um, understand that in the mental health space, there's a chance that you can create a coping mechanism that would start to that would maybe start to mask that question that you have, and, and that question may go away in, in a case where. If you have a chest pain, if you have a heart disease, that might not go away. So mm-hmm. that's going to be evident that you should then go see somebody in the mental health space. You, we're pretty actually, we're actually pretty good at creating coping mechanisms that make it hard to to associate one issue uh, 
with with an intent point intent point that issue with with its causal you know it's it's caused its cause. So, for example, you may have a question like, "Hey, I think kind of differently about these things. I feel these type of emotions in these situations," and then maybe you start drinking to cope with it, and then you stop having that question because that's what alcohol does. <laughs> so, yeah. the best bet would be for you to just go get a therapist now, start researching mental health, start researching some of the signs and symptoms that have been studied across big populations of people. Start from there, understand that that's not to be all end all, and uh, strap in because the, the psychological um, journey is a is a lifelong one for us all. Yeah, and the follow up to that would be uh, people that may know they're suffering from like depression or anxiety or whatnot, any of the mental health disorders, um, but are often often nervous to go seek professional help. And what what was uh, the hurdle like for you, and how did you seek help? Yeah, well, I was having bad panic attacks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I needed an immediate, uh, I needed an immediate uh, uh, remedy. And um, I was able to actually get some of that from the high school I was at. They had a school-based mental health system that um, really provided me a lot of support and care and ultimately diagnosis. And uh, I was able to, you know, change my entire life from the point I was 17 years old on until now, being 10 years later at 27. Seems like a lifetime, like 20, 30 years went by, but, you know, only 10 years. So, so it was a, that, that was a, a beautiful um, advantage and opportunity that I was able to, to take advantage of. Yeah, for sure. Do you think um, you think it's true that everybody faces anxiety and depression at some point in their life? Uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that's probably a safe bet. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I think I, I think anxiety is <clears throat> anxiety is just inherent to being human. Yeah, it's just natural. Um, number one. So there's you know and there's different levels of it. Yeah, but yeah. Again, there's also there's also different ways that it manifests. So people may think like, oh well, I. I get fearful too when I get on planes, but I don't get as fearful as, as you do. I don't have the panic mm-hmm. or the sweaty hands or, you know, whatever, but maybe you don't sleep. Yeah, yeah. See, that, 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 that's the other, you know, I say in my, in my piece, in my letter, that the, the three sort of subtle, pernicious, um, you know, red herrings of, of society are caffeine, sleep deprivation, and dehydration, you know, and... You know, it, it said that some 85% of all sleep disturbances or sleep disorders um, are anxiety-related. Okay. That's just an overwhelming number of of um, people being plagued with with uh, anxiety and and, disturb, and it's actually disturbing people's sleep. So, you know, that manifestation isn't isn't normally equated with anxiety. You know, restless leg syndrome isn't normally equated with anxiety, right? So, but it totally can can become a uh, a symptom of it. So. Gotcha. When you came out with all depression, this... Depression's a bit different. I'd say depression yeah. may be, you know, depression may be a, a, a bit different um, on the manic end, you know, on the manic end of the depression spectrum. Um, but as far as people having, you know, general despairs and and um, chaos and, and uh, unsolvable questions in their own you know, existential space that they, they aren't able to wrestle with the way that they would like to. That's everybody thing for sure. Yeah, for sure. So when you, uh, when you came out with all this stuff, did, uh, did anyone else reach out to you and like, did your teammates support you in general? Yeah. I mean, my, my teammates were my teammates from Iowa state. So they yeah. already knew what I was dealing with. They had shown their support for two years. Yeah. Um, the people that I grew up with from Minneapolis, they had already, they, you know, they knew, they knew what I was struggling with and they had supported me for years. Yeah. Um, my new teammates in Houston, yeah, they were supportive too. I wasn't around them as much though um, because of the situation we were going through, but my teammates in the RGV even, uh, it's, it's, that's where I ended up later on in my first year with Houston, yeah. um, they supported me. My coach, Nick Nurse, supported me. You know, rest in peace to Tyler Honeycutt. Um, yeah. So, they, they were all supportive, man. And uh, I haven't I haven't had much outward expression of of, uh, of non-support in this entire in this entire journey. Um, most people are just supportive. 
most people just understand that it's something that they themselves deal with or somebody they know deals with or they deal with and haven't really identified yet. I get that all the time. Like, you know what? I think I feel like that too. Uh, I just never really got it checked out. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been nothing but support for the most part. So, Well, that's good then. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. you think um, you think sports could help with mental health? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was doing a podcast earlier today and, you know, I made the comment that sports is the new sports is the new hyper leader. Yeah. I don't I don't know if sports has never been the leader in communities. Um, or the athletes have, have there's never been a time where athletes aren't the leaders in communities. Um, now the the intersection of many social issues are going to cross cross the, the sports domain because athletes are becoming more existentially curious. Yeah. Um, and, and and uh as such the leaders the leadership role that they play in that space is gonna matter and uh the way that the fans grant them you know the the grant them the understanding or grant them the freedom or the leagues grant them the freedom to, to actually explore those things and to actually contribute something of meaning or something of value to those spaces can have a huge impact on all social issues including mental health. Um, and, you know, again, it's like most athletes, a lot of young kids are spending more time playing sports than they are at their school. Yeah. And the culture that you create around mental health and because it's meritocracy uh, in many ways has huge implications on the way people build their self-identity and the way that people um, create their, their appraisal, their self-appraisal systems, right? And um, so, you know, not only is it, super important for athletes in general, sports in general, because away from the pro sports, there's many of us that grow up through sports, yeah. right? Whether yeah. or not you make it to be a pro, the culture of sports has a lifelong effect on you, whether or not you become a pro. Um, so if you uh, if you look at it from that lens, then, then it's paramount that not only sports help the issue, but that they actually, that they actually get familiar with the issue and, and become, uh, become well-versed in it because it, it, the sports just has a huge effect on society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think sports semi rule the world a little. It's in general. Uh, man, it's, it's getting up there. <laughs> it's like kind of crazy. I'm, sometimes I'm sitting back and I'm like, man, this sports shit is going too far. <laughs> actually, um, but but you know, it, it is where it is where where our values have taken it. Yeah. So if that's what we value. We better uh, we better we better take a second and, and look at what it's actually doing and yeah. what, what we want it to do and what it can do and uh, what will happen if we don't if we don't take that, that second to evaluate that because it's already getting out of hand yeah. you know that's, that's the reality the sports thing is out of hand now that's, that's the point you know we've created a space where people can detach from reality and all of their issues in their lives which can have futility sometimes it can go too far and uh, in the professional level, and even in the college level, and you see even in the high school level, some of this fandom or this, uh, you know, the parenting you just at the high school level, it's, it's just enraged and it's disanchored, it's, it's emotionally unstable, it's, uh, it's a whole lot of bad things, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, again, I circle back to the alcohol consumption at games, and, you know, if you're saying that a space is explicitly child-friendly or a family environment... What does it say about the development of families? What does it say about the development of children? If you can go to a game, get drunk, and yell a bunch of crazy shit in front of somebody else's kid, or even your own. So, yeah. so what are some uh, self-help strategies um, that you do, and do you think that could help others? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Um, I read a lot. I read a lot about mental health mm-hmm. I read a lot about different ways that it's manifesting new ways uh, different people's stories I like to read that gives you a good reaffirmation that, that you're not alone and that some of these issues can get even weirder than you would than you have experienced or weirder than you would think or be able to imagine and I see that all the time especially as being an advocate um, where I'm like damn that's your story man my story is a cakewalk right now. damn I was just scared to you know, I'm, I just get a little bit of panic sometimes from my first marijuana incident and creates the PTSD around traveling. You know, it's like, hey, you're actually 
having some way worse issues than that. And so it it, it, it adds perspective and it grounds you. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I, I uh, engaged uh, the meditative practice quite a bit um, and, and the breathing practice. So that's that's one way. And uh, I, I definitely pay attention to my diet, right? So, again, part of the reason, one of the first things that doctors usually do when people come with panic or anxiety or even depression is they make sure that you have you you're properly hydrated and you're getting enough vitamin D yeah. and a lot of American diets are deficient in vitamin D and vitamin D is the, is the you know the sunny the sunny delight the sunlight vitamin yeah. and um, because we spend so much time inside and working and doing other things we, we miss out on that vitamin D and that has that, that has been shown to have an effect on mood um, and another piece of that is, again, to, to, to echo sleep. So when you don't sleep, you don't get REM sleep, you don't get adequate sleep, you don't get regular sleep, uh, that has a way of bringing down your serotonin levels. And when your serotonin levels get too low, you get things like anxiety and depression. So, you know, which is, which is, is the chicken come before the egg or, you know, type of conversation about does, does poor sleep cause anxiety or does anxiety cause poor sleep? Like, we don't know. But uh, either way, both of them need to be addressed because we don't know. Not that we shouldn't do anything about it because we don't know. So uh, it's, there's, there's a whole host of things there, but that'd be my starter kit. Check your sleep, check your vitamins, stay hydrated, um, you know, engage the reading, engage mm-hmm. the domain, learn about mental health, get you a therapist, um, do some meditative practice, some yoga, can't hurt you anyway, it definitely helps your breathing, your heart, all of those things regardless of, of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, get, get strapped in, strapped in. It's, it's going to be a long one. <laughs> so is there any last words for about mental health in general or anything you want to say? Um, mental health is the most significant social issue in the history of humanity. And we have to approach it as such, right? It's, it's the, it's the, it's the mothership. It's the, it's the top order of all of these social issues. I don't care what you're talking about, racism, uh, families, marriage, um, workplace, uh, sex, um, you know, addiction, alcohol, drug use, um, you know, homelessness, <laughs> uh, parenting, education, all of these things. You know, they're all touched and affected criminality. Yeah. They're all touched and affected by the mental health conversation and the mental health results. Uh, in, in the conversation or lack thereof conversation. And as such, it, it, you know, issues only start to gain momentum and start to have their proper attention and priority in the world when people, when the people start to do it from a groundswell, you know, when there's that groundswell. And we have to stop looking up top to our politicians to be reasonable. We, should, we shouldn't stop expecting them to be reasonable or, or hold them accountable to reasonability. But we... Um, we should stop letting that be our, our, our be all end all, you know, because um, they show no time to be unreasonable. That's the reality. Um, and, and, and we as individuals have to make these things a priority, whether or not the systems come to, to bear fruit. Um, so, you know, for example, if, if you're going to the NBA game, give yourself a drink cut off, you know, and if you're not, if you're an alcoholic, Get some help. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's probably a reason why you're using alcohol that much. It probably has an underlying it most certainly has an underlying mental health cause. I'll just say that. So get yourself some help. And if you can refrain from, you know, doing the drinking six beers and yelling some crazy shit at LeBron James or Steph Curry, then, then do that. And, and that actually will, um, you know, those small random acts of kindness thing, you know, that cliche starts to, starts to gnaw at your ear and go, oh, yeah, yeah let, me, let me do that first. And then you can save the Royce trying to, you know, fix structures and systems um, you know, you can you can add that support too if, if you can find a way to do so. And, and we're going to continue to push those things. Like NBA is not getting off the hook. All their partners, all their sponsors, they can act like they're getting off the hook, but they're not. Mm-hmm. We're still coming. The mental health topic is at their doorstep. It's in their house. It's in the basement. It's in the walls. <laughs> you see, what I'm it's, mm-hmm. it's something that they have a choice in engaging. They're in it. They're engaged in it, whether or not they want to acknowledge it. So um, we're going to continue to push that that front and try and add perspective and add a, a, a decent direction on that front. But individually,
physically, there's a lot of things that you can do, and there's a lot of things that you will do that will have an effect on the immediate community around you, your wives, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, um, other family, and, and all kinds of people that you interact with. You know, just ask somebody how they're doing. Yeah. That, that goes a long way. You know, how you doing, man? No, no, how you really doing? I don't want the, I don't want the cheap, oh, I'm all right, I'm good. No, no, I don't want that version. Yeah. I want to know how you're really doing. You know, let's, yeah, yeah. let's do that some more. Yeah. So. yeah, for sure. Are you ready for the random questions? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what kind of music are you listening to now? Who's your favorite artist? Wow, music, man. Uh, that's tough, man. I got a, I got an assortment of music that I, that I, that I go through. Um, I got my own artist that I, that I work with through my music company that I listen to often. Um, rock and roll, alternative shit that that we're working on, but um, some R and B stuff too. Artists that I that I work with. Um, as far as notable notable music or, or household music, just so much good music out there, man. I think Jay, I think Jay did something incredible with his album in many regards. <laughs> I think Drake had a great album. He's had a, he's had a great run of albums. I mean, let's just be fucking honest here. Right. He, if you're, not, if you're not liking what what Drake's doing, you're like a hater or an <laughs> asshole or I don't know, you know. Yeah, and, I mean, you, I, you probably you probably should sign up for the therapist list first because you're having <laughs> some type of weird ass you know hipster haterism going on in your in your shit. Um, and um, you know, I, but I also listen to um, I like LP a lot. I try to go and find LP music when I can. She's a good singer songwriter, really a talented, uh, great vocal range. Um, who else? You said, you said, you said you know, we lost we, we lost the legend most recently. You know the goat. Yeah. Isn't he from? Goat. He's from Minnesota, right? From Minnesota, so we, we keep his we keep his catalog alive and we keep his spirit alive with with uh, with, with his music. Um, so definitely love Prince. J Cole put out a, an incredible album. Uh, I, I love that. Um, you know, and, and uh, there's still some some rock and roll legends putting out some great some great music. Uh, the, the, the Black Keys last album was on my was on my uh, list. It, you know, uh, uh, Turn Blue is still on my playlist. It was so good. It was just an incredible album. I can go on and on about the music, man. It's yeah. just there's so many great artists out there, you know. And I, and I listen to a lot of music. So yeah, rest in peace to Chris Cornell. You know, Chris Cornell, Audio Slaves, and and their Soundgarden and that whole movement. Um, you know, had a big impact on on my on me, and and, and definitely. Uh, it's a big part of my musical uh, interest and, and music that is that is has been a big part of me times in my life. And you know, I'd, I'd go to the games and, and listen to Shadow on the Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, you see what I'm saying? So you know, there's things that people wouldn't that that's one of those fun facts people wouldn't know. Like I, I people think that I'm rolling to the game to Jay. Maybe I listen to Jay after the game. Kind of. Yeah. I'm listening to Chris Cornell on the way to the game. I'm getting in that in that mode, in that story mode, and, and, and shaping my own story, and doing things like that, so, there's a lot of great music out there, man. Yeah, for sure. What about, did you have any uh, favorite players growing up? Yeah, yeah, of course, um, I love, I love Mike, <laughs> obviously, I grew up in the 90s, so, right. I mean, Mike was, Mike was Mike, I mean, nobody could deny what, what Mike did basketball wise, if you did, you're an asshole, that's the reality, um, and, uh, but I also love Pip too. I love Pippen. Um, you know, he was a uh, he was two a big time two way player too. Versatile was one of the first point forwards if you really think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I liked him a lot. Uh, I only saw highlights of players before that, like Bird and Johnson and Big O and, and uh, Doctor J and Russell and Chamberlain. All those guys gotta you know give them their respect. Um, but you know, KG was next to come after after uh, Michael Jordan, right? So, and I was a Minnesota kid, so KG, big shout out to Ticket. You know, he he, he helped shape a lot of young players, mm-hmm. a lot of young players. You know, and doesn't get the doesn't get the doesn't get the publicity or the the respect or the adulation that he deserves for for his huge contribution to the basketball game. Another guy that really transformed the versatility of forwards. Yeah. You know. Um, and then, you know, Iverson was in there as well, right? We all loved yeah. Allen. Um, and uh, and then and then there was LeBron, right? Yeah. So, you know, and LeBron has, has been the mainstay for a, 
a long time. Now, there are all tons of players in there that I, that I loved as well. I went to Vince Carter camp. I love Vince Carter's, you know, as a person. He's a good cat. Loved his game. Um, really, really uh, transformed his game and refined his game with his age and some of his injuries. And I was able to actually see and hear him say that he was going to do that and then go do it. Yeah. So as a young player, 16, 17, that was really cool. You know, I was at his camp, and he had just come off of a, or was just going to have an ankle surgery, and he was like, yo, I'm changing, young fella, you got to be able to change your game, you got to be able to do, you got to be able to do this, this, and this, and then to watch him go out there and be able to stick around for another 11, 12 years doing that uh, and, and see that through is incredible. <laughs> so, uh, T-Mac was another, uh, one of the first point forwards. Um, so, you know, there was Kobe, obviously nobody gets denied what Kobe has done, I, I, I love Kobe's game. Um, he had some, some memorable moments. Shaq, um, other players too that that weren't actually Dirk. How can I not mention Dirk? Transformed the game. Um, other players too in there that 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 people you know kind of forget to mention. It's Baron Davis. I love Baron Davis' game. Um, those players, those a lot of players have shaped my game, and I'm a student, so I watched a lot of basketball, and a lot of guys gave me a lot of uh, a lot of inspiration. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like student of the game. All right, the the ultimate question, but but just keep this one short because I know it could be hours long. A- MJ or LeBron? What's that? MJ or LeBron? Oh man, I don't I don't do that. I don't do that comparison thing. I, I, I think that no, seriously, man, I just I just don't do it. You know, you, you can't you can't compare them. You know, yeah. it's, one one played in the era where you could handshake. One was a bona fide score with the go to move. You know, I think I think Michael Jordan has one of you know it's it, it's not the most effective, the second most effective go-to move behind the sky hook is the turnaround fadeaway. Yeah. And uh, I mean, LeBron James doesn't have a go-to move, and he's still able to go out and get forty at will just because of his sheer uh, ability, creativity, strength, athleticism. Uh, you know, all of those things. So, I mean. It's, 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 you know, how can you compare them? You know, um, that, I mean, obviously, I'd say LeBron James is a better passer than Michael Jordan, probably because of his size, his athleticism, maybe because of his attitude and approach. I'm not sure. I'm not in their head. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan maybe could have been a, as good of a passer as well. He, he's not that many assists per game off of, of, of LeBron's average and another two, two or so per assist. That's more like a choice. Yeah. You know, that, that's more of a mentality. That's more of Michael Jordan going, I'm going to take this shot versus LeBron going, I'm going to pass the ball because it's, it's, it's just a basketball play. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's just it's kind of apples and oranges in my opinion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love them both, man. It's, it's, uh, people should spend less time comparing great players when you, when you don't not, – not, I'm not talking about you, but I'm just talking about this whole frenzy over comparing players and shit. It's more like uh, – it's more like for uh, for uh, got people who don't really play the sport. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and then the athletes, we get pulled into it because people want to ask people who actually have competed against them or are in the same field or whatever, and they go, then if you get some athlete sports to get some answer, and it's like, you know, we really don't want to be discussing that at all, and uh, it's, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's like yeah. we, we, we respect and appreciate both of their contributions, and if you just have to say somebody's better, and you have to judge it on something, um, I guess you could judge it on championships. But then Michael Jordan wouldn't be the best either. So you'd have to give that nod to, to Bill Russell. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what you couldn't possibly do because they're two totally different players and, and two totally different eras. And yeah. I mean, nobody in their right mind would say that Bill Russell is anywhere near the talent or ability of Michael Jordan. So just an absurd an absurd way to try and even frame the whole comparison in my opinion but people do it I'm sick of it (laughs) alright last one what do you think about LeVar Ball and and the Ball family man I got mixed emotions I don't I mean I don't I don't mind it man you know I I think that it's bound to happen right it's like the mental health conversation in many respects it's, it's bound to happen they were bound to to there was bound to be a family or a father that saw the the business the, the business reality of the industry of the basketball sports domain and uh, put his foot forward to capitalize on that in the way that he wanted to in the way that he saw fit 
Yeah. It was bound to happen. It was bound to happen. It's what happens when 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 a group of people um, unwarrantedly take fifty percent for being middlemen. Yeah. That's that's what you produce. You produce a Levar Ball, and if, if people don't understand the the reference, the people that run the league, they're middlemen. No middleman gets fifty percent. That's that's an absurdity. Okay, they they don't create shit. They don't they don't do anything other than broker the deals with the TV with the TV, you know broker the TV deals and which really sell themselves because the product is so it's so self sufficient, right? It's, it's such a it's such a um, such a good product that it, it's not much work you have to do. Like you could go into the the office with Turner Sports and Walt Disney and negotiate an NBA TV deal. You know, like yeah. anybody, anybody. I mean, not, I don't say anybody, but a lot of people could do that. You know, so uh, that's a more middleman position. But that's what happens when middlemen um, start to, you know, anchor a, a superficial position within a within a paradigm, and you get these these offshoots and these people that are like, well, wait a minute, why am I going through Nike when I could just go to China and make the shoe myself? It's like, yeah. I get that. You know, I get that, but. At the same time, do I think that their whole message and their whole um, their whole strategy and the whole layout or rollout is is uh, is good for humanity at large? Not really, not really. But it, but but a lot of people's message isn't really refined in that manner. Um, you know, I just I I have problems with I have a problem with you. You know, talking about the price, you know, or shoes or you know the same. You know, oligarchs. You could say that you're you're claiming are trying to trying to monopolize the talent of these young men, and then you go and you set the price for a shoe in the upper one percent of the market. That's a little hypocritical, but maybe there's a good reason. I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I don't, I'm not involved with with that movement. Um, I support them. It's like you know, hopefully you can you can do it, figure it out, continue to refine it, continue to make it better, continue to hone the message, continue to to, to help the people that you can or use use the platform to do something meaningful um, at a deep level. And, and I tell my hat to them, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good to see somebody shake something up, you know? And uh, those are the voices that'll do it, though. You know, the voices that'll end up shaking it up will, will sound theatrical and they'll sound, you know, audacious and, and things like that. But, um, you know, yeah. good, good luck to them. I, I respect it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. And if you want to shout out Anybody and tell people where to follow you. Yeah, man. Shout out to Tyler Honeycutt, man. Rest in peace. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we miss you. We love you. We failed you. Um, you follow me anywhere, man. I don't mind. Don't follow me. <laughs> you know, go, 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 go send a message to, to Tyler Honeycutt's mother. Um, send a message to David Stern. Tell him to apologize to Tyler Honeycutt's mother. Send a message to Adam Silver. Tell him to apologize to Tyler Honeycutt's mother. You know what I mean? Um, don't 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 bother with me. The things I'm doing, they'll 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 fall in your lap. Probably that's the way I want it to be. I want I want the things I do to fall in your lap. I want you to not have to speak it out. I want it to be so valuable that you can just come across it, consume it, and your life be better. Um, but but as far as anything, you'll put some energy too. Tell those dudes to go apologize to Tyler Honeycutt's mother because they could have saved his life. Well, I appreciate your time, and uh, I can't wait to release this one. Yeah, man, appreciate you, brother. We'll talk soon.